the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Firing Line with Philip Naiman. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Turner's Outdoorsman, IndustryGreetings.com, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, The Force of Optics, AskDefensive.com, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. And now your host, Philip Naiman. Hey folks, welcome to another edition of Firing Line Radio Show. I hope you're having a great day wherever you are. And as you know, after a month of absences, I am finally back. And I'm very, very glad to be back. And as always, I try and do my best to bring you the best guests. Why? So you're not stuck with me. That's an important thing. If you're going to listen to this show, I want it to be worth your time. And the best way to make that happen is to bring in somebody who is worth your time. This week, folks, I have Rick Prado. Rick Prado, well, I'm going to let him tell you his life story. But just as an overview, is a great American who has been fighting communism for a very long time. Um, I'm going to listen to him and, and ask him about his ideas of what's going on in the world today. Uh, history lesson of what has happened, a lot of on-the-ground life experiences, and uh, his life story in general. He's also the author of a book called Black Ops, The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior, uh, rickprado.com, R-I-C-P-R-A-D-O.com is where you can find the book and more information on that. It is, of course, a New York Times bestseller, and it's even available on Audible, which, as you know, is the only way I can read a book is uh, on Audible. It, uh, it has improved my books per year uh, readability uh, by listening to them as I'm doing other things. But anyway, folks, let's welcome to the show Rick Prado. Rick, how are you doing today? Doing great, buddy. Thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you for your service and uh, thank you for sharing your life with us, uh, with your book, and, you know, Black Ops, The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior. As I said before, folks, it is a very good read or listen, however you like to get that. Um, Rick, for those who are not familiar with you yet, let's give them a little bit of your background, you know, your growing up story. I think it is so important that that sets the base for your service in America and your, and your feelings about this country. So you want to run us through that real quick? Yeah, I'm, uh, I was uh, born in Cuba, um, 1951. Revolution was starting to rage around 56, 57. Um, I lived in a small town at the foothills of the mountain range where Che Guevara was supposed to be in. So my town uh, would get hit fairly frequently. And uh, so I literally saw my first firefight and people getting shot at the age of maybe eight years old. Um but but wait, 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 wait. Che Guevara was just a poet who rode a motorcycle, right? No, he was that too. He was also a murdering bastard, but that's a separate topic. <laughs> well, that's an accurate depiction of him. Yeah. yeah. So um, your family had been in this village for many generations, right? Yeah, that was where pretty much all my family, paternal and maternal, were lived within walking distance of my home. It was a big town. But nonetheless, it was a town. And uh, I saw the first person get shot and, and somebody firing right in front of my face to somebody else uh, when I was I was eight. But the biggest forging memory of, of, uh, of my childhood, I mean, I, we were a middle class family. I had a horse before I had a bicycle. Um, you know, I, we had we had a TV. We had a, a telephone. So we were solid middle class. And that was I had a very happy childhood. But when things started to deteriorate, like six months later, they confiscated my dad's business. He decided that we were going to leave the country. Wait, uh, wait, 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 wait. These are communists. Why would they do that? Exactly. Yeah, and your father's yeah. business was? He had a small coffee roasting company. He was a real imperialist. He had, I think, 10 people working for him. 
Yeah. So he had, and your grandfather was a tobacco roller, cigar roller or something, right? Yeah, my my paternal uh, grandfather uh, had a uh, a ranch that my dad worked until he got married, and he had a tobacco rolling uh, little factory. My other, uh, my maternal grandfather, who was the coolest guy I knew growing up, besides my dad, uh, was a barber. Barber. So, so obviously, you are the bourgeoisie that needed to be corrected and have all of your assets stolen by the uh, the poet warrior uh, Che Guevara. May he burn in hell. So people don't understand that. I mean, here you're you're living in a village. It's a peaceful life. You you talk about it very well in the book, and you know you just talked about your grandfather, but folks. What's very comforting in this book is is when you listen to Rick talk about his relationship with his parents. I mean, you know, so many times we hear about something happen and tragedy and tragedy. And these are people who had tragedy imposed upon them, but the family unit was really amazing. And uh, that that struck me as as an absolute blessing that probably set a foundation for you going forward, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, my my dad, uh, who, who I said, like I said, he was a cowboy. He brought me up that way. You know, you're the, how a man's supposed to act, you know, integrity is what you what you do when nobody's watching kind of mentality. And um, he was very strong about preparing me for life. And, and when we uh, moved to Havana to try to get out of the country, the first thing that I saw was three guys hanging from trees with signs around their necks that read, counter-revolutionaries. So I seen the combat. I seen what they did to my family, the confiscation of their property. My dad had a 57 Pontiac at the time that the police chief wanted and that big, big incredible stuff. Uh, but, but now I see three people hanging from, from trees just because they were against the Castro regime. Um, even before that, you know, in school, they started inculcating the fact that if anybody in your family speaks ill of Castro or the revolution, it is your duty to report it. And sadly, some kids did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, they always, the communists always say that, well, we're not Nazis. It's like, well, actually you are. You're you're in the absolute same camp. You did the same tactics. One is a national socialist. One's just socialist uh, with a gun. But you absolutely are the same. You're the same evil, the same ilk, stealing people's livelihoods, imposing your will, ruining their children's lives. And, well, in the early 50s, right, you're middle class. Your dad had a television set and a vehicle. Right. Most of America didn't have that. Um, how is how is Cuba now? I mean, are they still driving around the same 57 Chevy? I mean, have you been actually, back? It's, it's actually worse than that. I had a uh, a not a colleague. It's just an acquaintance that did go to Cuba and he happened to go through my hometown and he brought back a whole bunch of photographs. And the um, the thing is, where in during my time, you would see Jeeps and you would see trucks. My and my dad had also a a truck and a Jeep and cars, all transportation in that same town is oxen pulled carts. Hey, it's the best way to improve something is turn it into communism. I mean, you learn that in school. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Obama opened that up and uh, there's people going down there telling us how great Cuba is, right? Isn't that, I mean, he wouldn't lie to us, would he? Of course not. Uh, you know, the politicians never lie to us. But, you know, the, the, the real story is the Cubans always outsmart anybody who's naive enough to go out there and, and believe their their story. Their, the areas that they take you, the areas you're allowed to go to are areas that are not only the nicer, it's still second world at best. It's actually fourth world overall. But in, in the areas that they take you, it's still second world. But what people don't understand is the average Cuban doesn't have access to those places. No. Well, they did the, the same, same thing. In the your taxi cannot go to the same restaurant that he's taking you to. The, exactly. And and in the uh, in the 30s, you know, Russia did that with some of the uh, New York Times writers. They were talking about how wonderful communism is. These wonderful cities. Everything's perfect. Everybody has a smile. There's a big black mouse with big ears uh, running the place. You know, it, it was a typical Disneyland scenario when. In the truth, you had the gulags, you had the Ukraine starvation, you had millions upon millions of people dying to this absolutely horrible and evil doctrine of communism and socialism and humanism uh, in general. So, no, we um, we might agree on that, Rick, I, I think. We might have a, something in common. Maybe. 
sounds like we do. So when did you leave Cuba? Well, you know, because of my dad's, um, some of his properties were being just, uh, you know, fought over. Um, they couldn't get out. They wouldn't give them the exit permit. We had visa. Visa wasn't a, a, a difficult thing to get back then. Uh, so I came out through a. Pro- I came out by myself uh, at the age of ten through a program called Pedro Pan Peter Pan, which was established by the Catholic Church. And uh, so, April of '62, uh, uh, I got boarded a plane by myself to Miami, and then from there, uh, two weeks later, to an orphanage in Pueblo, Colorado. That was my beginning of uh, of America. And in, in the 62, there was nothing in Pueblo, Colorado. So you went from a wonderful, lush, tropical thing to the high plains desert. Uh, yeah, scrub. Folks, my guest here is Rick Prado. Rick Prado is the author of Black Ops. We just kind of gave a rough, you know, 10-minute history of his background uh, in Cuba, growing up as a kid with a great middle-class family. His book is Black Ops, The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior. You can find it at rickprado.com. We're going to get into now his story. We've given us a little bit of the background and, and his beginning seeing the evils of communism. He's come to America as an orphan because his parents are still stuck in Cuba under that wonderful uh, hairy bugger called Castro. Um, we'll find out more about that and how he got involved in the United States fighting communism the rest of his life. We'll be right back after this with Rick Prado. Springtime is just around the corner. Soon, it'll be time to get back outdoors and soak up a little sun. And we need it. So why not enjoy the outdoors or the things you love in the field or the range, in the lake, or even in the stream? It's a great time now to get stocked up with the gear you need. Turner's Outdoorsman is California's number one hunting, fishing, and shooting sports retailer since 1971. And it even has 33 locations across California and one in Tucson, Arizona. Turner's is your one-stop shop for all your shooting sports and fishing tackle needs. We offer a full selection and unmatched prices on firearms, ammunition, gun safes, shooting accessories, archery equipment, and fishing tackle. Visit turners.com now and sign up for the Turner's Discount Club for free and get our weekly ads and member specials sent directly to your inbox. Turner's Outdoorsman's, savings you deserve on the gear you need. It's definitely expensive to advertise for your business, but not advertising is more costly to your bottom line, especially in this current economic climate. While we all know that sending Christmas cards to family and friends is an American tradition, we forget to extend that tradition to our customers and business associates. So show your appreciation for customer loyalty and remind clients that you and your company are still ready for their business. But don't just send any card to take advantage of the marketing opportunity that you're looking for. Your cards need to stand out. IndustryGreetings.com specializes in industry-specific Christmas cards. Whether you're an accountant, contractor, realtor, welder, or anything in between, our creative and exclusive card designs are the perfect fit. So head over to IndustryGreetings.com and search by your industry. Or check out our patriotic or religious Christmas cards and order today. That's IndustryGreetings.com or call them at 800-431-9161. IndustryGreetings.com, 800-431-9161. I use them, so should you. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Turner's Outdoorsman. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. Hey, folks, welcome back to Firing Line Radio Show. Philip Neiman here. Hope you're having a great day wherever you are. And if you're listening to this show, I know it's made better, made your day better, because I have Rick Prado, author of Black Ops, CIA warrior against communism. Uh, if you missed our first session and you're just tuning in now, go back, go to firinglineradio.com, get the podcast. You're going to want to listen to this. Um, we're going to talk about this man's lifetime fight against communism, supporting the United States and making your life better in all ways. Uh, Rick, as we just said there, you grew up in Cuba, Castro destroyed the place, family had to flee. You, you were sent off ahead of yourself as an orphan. Uh, in Pueblo, Colorado, um, eventually your family was able to join you or, or you were able to join your family and back in Miami, correct? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. My parents came out a little over nine, uh, eight months after. So I did eight, I turned 11 actually at, at the orphanage. And um, the one, there were several advantages of having been in the orphanage. For one thing, I learned to take care of myself pretty quickly because you know, we have happens. four different cultures with two or three different languages and a bunch of kids because nobody likes being an orphan. 
Um, but the other thing was full immersion in English. C-Spot run books were my best friend for, for those eight months. And it really helped me tremendously. And it helped my parents because now when I got back to Miami, I could at least ask for directions or, or something like that. But, yeah. and, and so your family came in, right, um, legally. They had, to, they had to get permits to leave the country. They were accepted in America, starting off and having to start all over again. And, and your, your family, and again, read the book, folks. Um, Black Ops, get more detail on that. But it's, a, it's an American story. Um, and, and it's wonderful. Let me jump forward here because you, there's so much of your life. We have one hour to share here today. Let's just jump forward to you're deciding to get into the service. Yeah, uh, I... Uh... Very early on, and I think that it was my my dad had so much to do with it. But my dad, I think he'd been in this country maybe a year and a half when he decided we're not leaving. We're not ever going back to Cuba, no matter what happens. This is freedom. This is where we're staying. And we became residents in in record time. We became citizens in record time. And um, it was my first year of college, Miami-Dade Junior College. Uh, I was studying to be a marine science technician. And... um, there was a small episode there. I, I, I was kind of a little bit of a troublemaker in high school. Got good grades, but I was always getting in fights. And um, I think that's, so the, that that might be a little bit in your personality, a little bit there. That's what my wife says. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> frequently. Yeah, yeah. But so the the hippies announced that they were going to take down the whole American flag and burn it, and I I wasn't going to allow that. So I called some of my homies from high school. And about 15 hippies showed up. There was only four or five of us. And needless to say, we kicked the crap out of them. And that flag never went down. But here's the moral of the story. I remember looking up at that American flag in an Asia blue sky. And it was the first time in my life that I was proud of having done violence. Six months later, I was in pararescue. And and we'll go from there. So you did, you did just stand in pararescue. Um... Well, for those who don't know what pararescue is, it's it's the special forces of the Air Force, right? One of two, yeah. Combat controllers is our sister service, yeah. And and on that particular time frame, someone says, "Well, wait, you were in the Air Force during Vietnam." No, you were you were a well. You tell the story. Well, you know, we we have everybody jokes about the Air Force, and and some of them are are, are well well deserved. So we always say the pararescue is the men's department of the Air Force. So um, that's that's what we we call them. But uh, yeah, I um, I uh, enlisted. My um, back then we had a draft. My draft number was astronomically high. I would have never gotten called. But I wanted to go to Vietnam. I wanted to serve. I wanted to serve this country and pay them back for what they had allowed my family to do, which was to begin dreaming the, the American dream. I mean, we were sub poverty for the first two years that we were in this country. Yeah. You know, but my dad never took a welfare check either. So he was very proud of that. So uh, I applied for pararescue. I, I thought I was a tough kid. You know, I'd been in the martial arts since I was 15 and lifted weights and all this stuff. And boy, it was humbling. Uh, after three days of puking, I started getting the hang of it. But, uh, uh, but I made it through. Our pipeline back then was just a little over a year. Uh, included all these sexy, you know, jump school, scuba school, medical school, parachuting, blah, 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 and mountain climbing. And, and of course, the the, uh, the EMT2 qualifications at the end, which is what de- defines and, and uh, differentiates pararescue from a lot of the other soft components. So um, I did uh, I did my year plus training, went down uh, to Homestead Air Force Base. You got to understand that, you know, I, I got my beret like I think it was late 72, early 73. By then, Vietnam was, was shutting down. And so was the government. You know, the agency went through incredible attrition during those years. And so did the military. I mean, the, people were either pushed out or encouraging to go to reserves or something. So I stayed at Homestead with reserves uh, for six years. No, post-training four years. And then I went to a, to an Army National Guard um, unit for about three years, um, 20th Special Forces out of Fort Lauderdale. Uh, but, you know, a, again, I wasn't, uh, yeah, I was repelling, I was jumping, I was doing all this ninja stuff, but for no purpose other than training for training's sake. And I had, uh, you know, a debt of honor that I needed to somehow pay the price rather than, you know, just wearing a cool beret uh, kind of stuff. So I applied to the agency in, in 74 
They, uh, they said, sorry, we're, we're firing, not hiring. Uh, I applied again in 78 or 79. And this time they brought me in on contract. I was, uh, I was uh, writing rescue with my Miami Metro Dade Fire Department. Um, because as a PJ, of course, I was more than qualified to do the, the rescue stuff. And I did that for about six years. So the agency needed um, paramedic, paramilitary medics to accompany their special activities division, especially the ground branch guys, in training and or missions. So they would call me and say, hey, can you do two weeks next next month? And I would, you know, that's how it started. Uh, and uh, when Reagan took over, um, the, the magical day that Reagan took over, um, the very next uh, well, day. Was there, this is a history lesson. Was there a difference between before Reagan and after Reagan? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't dabble much in politics, but I do love history. And here's the Reader's Digest version of it. We had Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter was a very decent man. He was not a corrupt man. He did not have sons stealing billions from other countries. Um, he was uh, uh, a, a military Steel, veteran. Those were gifts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the agency, if you, if you got a Timex, you had to, you had to declare it. So I, I know how that works, but uh, you know, during, during Jimmy Carter, um, we had Afghanistan, Russia invaded Afghanistan. Uh, they took our hostages in Iran uh, he gave away the Panama Canal, and, and it goes on and on and on and on. And that's a perfect example right there. When Reagan took over, the minute he raised his hand and sw was sworn in, they released our hostages in Iran. That's a clue, I think, because they knew that there was a new sheriff in town. And I try to explain this to people. The enemies that we fight against, and I fought communism in five different incarnations, the enemies that we have are all predators. China has been an imperial power since before Christ. Russians are Vikings and Cossacks. And the Persians, because that's what they were, control most of the world at one time. That is in their DNA. So when you put somebody in front of them, no matter how bright, if they come across as food, they're going to try to eat you. Well, uh, that's called human nature, and you're absolutely right. Um, the only way to stop aggression is with extreme violence, right? Uh, you learned that growing up, the people were picking on you in the orphanage, somebody had to get a split lip, uh, and then all of a sudden, everybody gets along. Uh, you have to have, well, in the 1980s, I remember this, we had these wonderful t-shirts with, uh, it was a peace sign with a B-52, it said, peace through superior firepower. That, that works, right? That, that's exactly what works. So you joined the CIA, um, and because of your Spanish-speaking skills, they didn't put you in Russia. Exactly. So <laughs> Actually, I got hired on uh, uh, full-time because when Reagan declared uh, war on communism in Latin America, the first place he wanted to go against was the Nicaraguan Sandinistas. Right, who were taken over the country immediately with all the support from Cuba, of course. But but wait, and, uh, no, those guys were started off with with the wonderful uh, motorcycle poet. I mean, so they were nice people too, weren't they? I mean, they had the, a few bodegas. They probably had some coffee shops down there. Maybe they smoked a little bit of weed. But you know, they were all kind of this peaceful, loving communist hippies. Isn't that the way it works, Rick? Well, they were atrocious murderers. Uh, you know the. Uh, it leads into the entree. They called me to be the first guy on the ground for the Contra program, which was the, the effort to overthrow the Sandinistas. And, you know, the, the one thing that was so rewarding for me, even though I, I, I literally lived Monday through Friday in a jungle hammock for th three years. Right. And I never, ever uh, regretted uh, a, a second of my life. And the biggest part of that was, there was actually two parts. The first part was the people that I was working with. All right, I'm going to stop you here. We're going to take a break. We have to wait for the second part. This is getting interesting. Finally, I'm going to shut up and let you talk. We'll be right back, folks, after this. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage and host of the main event, Heard Weekends, right here on AM590 The Answer. Think about this. Your mortgage rate is at 3%, but your car loan is now at 10 or 11%. Over the past year, the average car payment has risen from $400 to $800. Rates on your credit cards have risen from an average of 14% up to 20% and higher. And across the country, credit card balances are higher now than they were before COVID. HELOCs are now at 10%. You don't want to touch your low-rate mortgage, but you're paying through the nose on all of your other debts, and it's hard to make ends meet. 
Solution, do a cash-out refinance and wrap all your debt together on your house now and lower all your payments. Then when the rates really drop next year, you can do a rate and term refinance when rates are really low and not have to pay the cash-out refinance fees to do it. If this idea makes you curious, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. Or go to edhoffman.net and click on the United American Mortgage logo. Ed Hoffman, NMLS ID number 9921. United American Mortgage Corporation, NMLS ID number 1942. United American Mortgage Corporation is an equal housing lender and licensed by the California Department of Real Estate. Hi, folks. Philip Naiman from Firing Line Radio Show. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated $1 million for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at CCWSafe.com. AM590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by CCW Safe by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. Spartans, lay down your weapons! Hey folks, welcome back to Firing Line Radio Show. If you've missed any of this show, don't be a dingling. Get on to FiringLineRadio.com, download the podcast, go to our YouTube channel and, and watch it there. You're going to want to see this. And the good part about the YouTube channel is you get to see what we're saying in between the breaks. So Sometimes that's the better part of the show. Uh, I'm talking with Rick Prado. Rick Prado, uh, CIA, Air Force, American, Awesome guy. One day I'm going to have lunch with him. But um, talking about his life, right after the the Cold War heated up, when Reagan was president, uh, he decided to declare war on the communist atrocities that were happening in South America. I know a lot of hippies on campus here today are still talking about how you know they want to Che Guevara purse or it's insanity um, that they are immortalizing this man and, and his. Well, his life. But here's somebody who was actually on the ground in that time. You were sent down to Nicaragua, Honduras, um, fighting the Sandinistas, right? Tell us about that, Rick. Yeah, the the agency at the time, because the post-Vietnam attrition did not have a single native Spanish-speaking guy with paramilitary background, and I was blessed with being a PJ. So they called me up. Uh, they I, they told me that it was a full-time job. I took it, and a week later, I was in in in, uh, in Central America. Uh, no training from the agency. Uh, my marching orders were, you got a great boss down there. And I did. Uh, Colonel Ray was you know, a, a legendary CIA guy and Green Beret and World War II vet. And uh, I said, just follow his instructions. And his instructions were, you go to the camps, you document everything that's going there, make them your friend. Whatever they need, you're the one that's going to provide it. So for the first 14 months of those three years that I was there, I was the only CIA uh, officer allowed to go to the camps because the American hand, the U.S. hand was still hidden. That's why the book is called Black Ops. Black Ops are those operations that are the president tells us to do that where the, the U.S. hand has to remain uh, you know, incognito. So, um, but, it, but it was great. You, you, you talked about the atrocities of the Sandinistas and, and the romantic um, titles given to some of these uh, bastards every single one every single night i would sit around the campfire with the contras and i'm not talking about the leaders i'm not talking the former lieutenants i'm talking about the peasantry which was of course the masses of 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 the, of the effort and every single one of them had a personal story it wasn't i read marx it wasn't i read lenin or i don't like castro it was they raped my daughter they burnt my church and beat up my priest uh, they inducted my 15-year-old into service, and he got killed. Um, each one of them had a very, very pure reason for being in some of the most miserable conditions of living that I that I had seen to date. 
And these weren't warriors. These weren't guys who were ex-military. These were the peasants, the people who lived on the ground there. That is correct. Kind of like the uh, Revolutionary War, 1775, right? It was the farmers that said, enough of this. That's right. Now, why weren't, because these were the poor people, Rick, why weren't they blessed by communism uh, redistributing the wealth in those countries? Well, it's it's funny because the, the, the only truth about communism is they do make everybody equal, equally miserable, equally pro, except for the leaders. The yep. leaders will be flying planes and eating a lobster and, and champagne while the masses are, are, are being used. I, you know, show me one single country that has blossomed after being taken over by communism. Venezuela, the richest oil country in this hemisphere. You can't buy toilet paper. Um, well, you don't need toilet paper because there's no food there. Oh, there's no food. That's right. <laughs> that's a good one. That's <laughs> true. That's true. Okay. So you were, you were on the back end of this. Uh, again, black ops, you're in the shadows, helping these people fight for their freedom against communists. Um, what did the U.S. think about that? Let's say Congress at the time. Well, like always, it was split. Uh, you know, you you had the, uh, the more conservative forces under in understanding that we had a major threat uh, in our backyard, uh, being the you know the, uh, all the all the communism in Latin America. But of course, politically, it was also a football uh, in the sense that there was a lot of people that were defending the Sandinistas because they were freedom fighters. And, and don't get me wrong, so, Somoza, who they replaced, was also. No different than he was Ortega. a pig. Yeah, he's a dictator pig. He was murdering pigs. They stole all both regimes stole millions and millions of dollars. If that sounds familiar, and um, it, it just people have that r- romantic part of it, and so it became a bone of contention. Now, the one ace that we had in our in our in our pocket was that the, the Contra program was divided in three in, in three. You had the white. Northern um, Nicaraguans, who were most mostly were led by former Somoza lieutenants. They're all youngs, lieutenants and captains. They were not, you know, the guys who made money out of him. Um, the South, which was the disaffected uh, Sandinistas under under Erin Pastora, Comandante Zero, that were working out of uh, the Southern Front, uh, out of Costa Rica and up. But then we had the Mosquito Indians in yeah. the West. And they were my favorite. Um, to, to this day, I'm, I'm friends and stay in touch with Stephen Faggett, who was their, their leader at the time. Um, the beauty about the Mosquitoes is the liberals couldn't touch them because they're Native Americans. They have no political taint. They're looking for, actually, for, for independence. That's always been the bone of contention. You know, and the only that nobody gives it to them, even though people go, well, why not? There's nothing but uh, jungles and swamps out there. He said, yeah, but that's where all the gold mines are in in, uh, in Nicaragua. So the Sandinistas uh, had a harder time arguing, or, and our liberals had a harder, they couldn't do it, was to go against that. So we showcased that. And, and to me, they were the best fighter pound by pound that we had in the in That's the what you said. And they were fearless, basically. And some of those, you know, guys, you got to read the book or listen to the book uh, as I did to to find out some of these things that these guys pulled off because, you know, we'll we'll tease it here. But really, you're talking about uh, big brass monkeys uh, running those operations down there. And, uh, you know, I I, again, I want to we'll tease a little bit here and have them buy your book because they should do that anyway, but it's a great story. So you're fighting against that at this particular time. Um, Washington blows up, right? Somebody says, well, we can't be fighting communism because you know, we're, we're indoctrinating our college students with communism. Why would we fight communism? Uh, and we're going to cut off the funding, right? So here you are finally getting some groundwork and now the funding gets cut off and what happens there? Well, you know, the funding got cut off and, and turned back on a couple of times during a couple of the administrations, and it was it was de- devastating. I mean, you know, these people were now uh, in, in harm's way, running out of ammunition, medical supplies. Uh, but, we, but we learned from that. We didn't redo that with, say, the interpreters in Afghanistan, right? We yeah, didn't do we that with the Yazidis in Northern Iraq. Right? We, we, we stood by them, right? I mean, we're, we've learned these lessons. We've We've never repeated this kind of stuff, have we, Rick? You know, and what's really detrimental, and people don't understand this, is what it does to our intelligence collection. 
Because when you have a reputation as a country, the CIA gets the blame for everything. People don't understand that the CIA does what the president tells them to do. That's our job. Or what the president's handlers tell them to do in this current administration. Exactly. Well, yeah, absolutely. So in, in, in those particular cases, we have lost my train of thought. Sorry. Um, the funding. So there, there was a workaround that happened in uh, Iran, or excuse me, I tip my hand here, workaround for the Contras uh, at that point in time, right? Yeah, but you know, it's funny, that that was definitely not visible to me. First of all, I didn't even have a radio to listen to the news while I was out in the, in, in the jungle right. there anyway. But yeah, what happened was when the funding was cut off, Ollie North, who was a personal friend of mine, a, a true American hero, um, he established a, a a system of hey we will you know we'll trade hostages for weapons we'll do this for weapons and we will take the you know that money and use that to to uh, supply the the contras because they were being shot down and they were being murdered because and- by that time we had had a couple of really big hits on them one of them uh, you know when we blew up puerto cabezas with my mosquito divers and um so they they, they were reeling the sandinistas were reeling so our guys and gals were making some great progress in country when this thing was shut down. Now they're in the middle of Indian territory running out of ammo or food and anything else. Yeah. And your loyalty to the people on the ground. Yeah. You got them into this. You got to get them out. And, and so, yeah, um, you know, that's where we all heard the Iran Contra affair and it just blew up and, you know, Sam Donaldson running his mouth the whole time while people are on the ground fighting communism, running out of bullets. Um, you know, we, we've made the same mistake. And and that's the tragic thing is the same people are in charge. People who are in charge and Reagan's, you know, are still still in Congress today. Joe, you know, Joe Brandon. Uh, we're not allowed to say the full name on here because it sets off my Tourette's. But uh, Joe, Joe Brandon. um you know, he, look what they did in Afghanistan, all those innocent people. And, and we had to have private contractors get them out. You know, we did a show on that. It's just it's amazing. Folks, I want to I want you to, to encourage you to buy the book. Go to rickprado.com, R-I-C-P-R-A-D-O.com. Get the book, Black Ops, Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior. As you can tell, we're just touching on a few things here. We've got one more segment left, which I'm really looking forward to. And um, Rick, thank you for your service. We'll be right back after this. Hi folks, Philip Naiman from Firing Line Radio Show. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated million dollars for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at ccwsafe.com. Springtime is just around the corner. Soon, it'll be time to get back outdoors and soak up a little sun. And we need it. So why not enjoy the outdoors with the things you love in the field or the range, in the lake, or even in the stream? It's a great time now to get stocked up with the gear you need. Turner's Outdoorsman is California's number one hunting, fishing, and shooting sports retailer since 1971. And it even has 33 locations across California and one in Tucson, Arizona. Turner's is your one-stop shop for all your shooting sports and fishing tackle needs. We offer a full selection and unmatched prices on firearms, ammunition, gun safes, shooting accessories, archery equipment, and fishing tackle. Visit turners.com now and sign up for the Turner's Discount Club for free and get our weekly ads and member specials sent directly to your inbox. Turner's Outdoorsman's, savings you deserve on the gear you need. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Vortex Optics. Vortex, the force of optics. By AskDefensive.com. Yes! Great hunter. Yes? Yes. Fine figure of a man, yes? Yes? Yes. That is all you need to know for now. Hey folks, welcome back to Firing Line Radio Show. Philip Neyman here. Hope you're having a great day. 
And you're, of course, you're having a great day. You're listening to the show, and you're listening to Rick Prado. Rick Prado, a CIA officer, retired, wrote the book Black Ops. Probably took four years to get it cleared, but anyway, wrote the book Black Ops, uh, the life of a CIA shadow warrior. He was involved in South America fighting the communists, um, involved in other ish, other areas of the world also. But in addition to that, um, he was sent out to the Pacific, right? Some people don't re- remember this. And again, you know, one of our greatest weaknesses is not understanding history. Um but we also had to fight a lot of communism in the Philippines. Now, most of the time when we see these communist re- insurrections start, it's because there's a pig dictator ruining the country. Um, and in this case, we had the Marcos family, which were pigs, uh, just like we had Ortega uh, in South America. You usually have a or the Shah of Iran. You'll have an absolutely horrible person running the show. And then these these contingencies start up and they have popular support until they take over and then they destroy it even worse. So let's talk about the Philippines. You were sent out there. Why? Well, you know, the, uh, at, at that time, the new people's army, which was communist backed and um, um, terrorist organization was literally in the streets of Manila uh, about six or eight months before I got there, a legendary green beret by the name of Nick Rowe, uh, he was the military attache to the to the embassy there. He was ambushed and assassinated right in Manila by the MPA. Um, they were killing our officers at, at Subic, uh, uh, you know, our, our airmen at, at Clark Air Force Base. And um, this was rampant. I mean, the crime was rampant. So the program was providing the, the, um, the Filipinos with intelligence, training on how to gather intelligence, equipment, a lot of signals, inter, uh, you know, intercept kind of stuff to try to break, help them break the communications of the bad guys and be able to more surgically uh, attack them. So, again, it was one of these these jobs that I truly, truly cherish because I was usually away from Manila three days a week mi- uh, minimum uh, going to one camp or another or to one you know military unit or the other. And, and uh, it was uh, it was really uh, hairy times there for for any American, uh, but also for a lot of Filipinos that were suffering from this. Exactly. The population suffers because there's corrupt leadership being replaced by violent leadership. Um, it's, it's not a good mix. Now, we had a giant Air Force base at the time. A lot of guys were stationed out there, uh, Naval and Air Force uh, in the Philippines, right? That's correct. A lot of, a lot of people. Navy and uh, Clark Air Force Base for, for the Air Force. Yeah. Now, Jimmy Carter turned that over, too, didn't he? Or was that after? Well, the the uh, the, the discussions were um, the negotiations were going on to maintaining the um, the the bases there, but then Pinatubo, the uh, the big, big volcano, uh, erupted, and that pretty much shut down the uh, the bases. Period. Uh, physically, I mean, there was I, I went to Clark because we had a a warehouse full of gear there that I needed. So I was the first person from the embassy to go to Clark post evacuation and post. Uh, and there was at least a foot of ash all over everything. Any metal building would crumple under the weight. That stuff is like cement with with the rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that became the mood point. The bases were were not something that we were. Now we're reopening other uh, by necessity because of the Chinese encroachment in the area. There's a couple of efforts being done to reestablish a presence there in the Philippines. Yeah, it's it's amazing what happened out there. Now the the you talk about there's one very harrowing uh, incident where you're coming out of a diner. We'll, we'll leave that for the book. But these assassins that were running in the Philippines, this is something that I hadn't seen before. Why don't you talk a little about about that? Yeah, we uh, we almost got killed. Uh, me and a couple of my friends by a, a team of uh, sparrows. They're called the sparrows. They're the professional assassins for the New People's Army. And their modus operandi is very telling. They have they carry a 1911 A1 45-caliber pistol in their waist, no holster, hammer back, safety tape down, and they hold it with their left hand. So they, their MO is they're walking with a shirt outside, and they have the pistol being held by their by their by left hand. All they do is when they see a truck... They pull it up, they shoot, they put it away again, and they walk off, and they were ghosts. They, they became a myth. People were getting killed in, in Angeles City, uh, in, in Alongapo, 
and nobody would see anything. So, yeah, we heard the shots and we saw the guy bleeding. We turned around, there was nobody there. So they were extremely, extremely efficient. And uh, like we discussed earlier, there, there is a, uh, a very good YouTube um, depiction, uh, depiction of uh, a sparrow who was captured. And the deal that he cut was uh, he would show their MO. And it is, it is scary. It is scary stuff. So, you know, action beats reaction, right? That was that was the that's what saved us there. Uh, if I, we and by we, I mean we're, there was six of us. Only two noticed me and Davis. We were the last guys coming out of the uh, out of the diner, and uh, these guys were standing there, gaggling. They they looked at us. The two guys on the outside had their left hands in their in their pocket. The guy in the middle is just stood, you know, drilling a hole in my in my brain. I drew my weapon. Unbeknownst to me, because, you know, with adrenaline, tunnel vision is the first thing that kicks in. Auditory exclusion. I could only see, the, you know, these guys. And, you know, Philip, if, if I put, point a gun at you right now, you would do, you, you know, chances are you would raise your hands and go, like, whoa, what's going on? These guys did not even blink. They just stared at me and went like this, like, we'll get you next time. And I'm going like, no, you ain't. Um, I turn around. My buddy, Davis, had also Vietnam vet. Um, he also had drawn his weapon. The other four, the two Filipino officers and our two techs, they never saw it. They never saw that happening. And I use that in a lot of training. I, I trained at, at Fort Bragg and also with Camp X for a long time, or soft. And I always told them, I said, reaction is not your friend. Awareness in avoidance is what's going to, if I would have not, if me and Davis had not noticed those three guys and their yeah. MO, you wouldn't have been a headline. You would have been a sub subline in page four. Yeah. We would not be having this conversation. That's for sure. It's just interesting to me that so much has happened. And I think one of the great parts about your book is it's bringing back a lot of the memories. Now I, we're a little, you have a few, a few more winters on me. Um, but my adult, my early adult life was pretty much when you were operating. So I do remember a lot of the stories and the history that happened there. But so many people have forgotten. So many people have forgotten August two years ago. You know, thousands of people falling off of a, a C-117 as it's taken on a thousand. But people just left behind. That was just two two Augusts ago, right? That, that was it. Um you look at what happened in South America. Why do we have, why did we have uh, Venezuela taken over? Well, because we had corrupt peoples replaced with violent people. Um, Venezuela was a great country. It's a, you know, a, a Donald Trump has a special word for countries like that. It starts with an S, ends with a whole. Um, and it is. Their people are starving. They're leaving the countries. We've got millions of people crossing our southern border millions of people crossing our southern border. Why? Because Mexico is corrupt and communist. All those states down there need an enema. Um, it, it is amazing to me. They have the natural resources. They have the people. They have the talent. But because they are corrupt and they don't have the correct rule of law, we just see this repeating itself over and over again. Without a doubt. I mean, that, that is the best example for anti-communism is go and read about any country has been that has been under uh, you know uh, communist uh, control from you know Poland to Cuba to Venezuela to Nicaragua Salvador all these countries that have succumbed or come close to succumbing to communism have actually regressed i mean cuba uh, in in 1959 when castro took over cuba had the highest one of the highest literacy rates in latin america the Cuban peso was equal to the U.S. dollar. Um, and you know what it is worth now. Okay, Cuban peso is, is, is it's cheaper to buy toilet paper. Is he, 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 is, Use is pesos more than to buy toilet paper. Yeah. And work your butt with, a, with, a, with a local currency. And people are literally starving to death. I, I have a, um, a website that I look at for Cuban news. Crime is rampant. Yeah. There was a priest that just got mugged to steal his, uh, his scooter. Another guy got stabbed and, and uh, they cut his throat to take his horse and, and carriage. Yeah, it's just, Which is the Cuban carjacking, to be fair. Well, that is exactly what it was. 
Folks, I want, to, I want to thank my special guest, Rick Prado, for his service. Thank you for your service, my friend. Black Ops, The Life of a CIA Shadow Warrior is a great book. It's a great read. It's also a great listen on Audible. RickPrado.com, R-I-C-P-R-A-D-O.com. And if you missed any part of this, go to our YouTube channel, Firing Line Radio Show, or go to our website, FiringLineRadio.com, for the podcasts. Uh, thank you for your service. Thank you for your time. And God bless you, my friend. God bless you. Thank you. Shoot, Felipe. Shoot. When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Turner's Outdoorsman, IndustryGreetings.com, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, The Force of Optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. I'd like to introduce you to a new sponsor to the show, Sean Gibbs of Ask Defensive Training Company. They're in Redlands, California. They also sell guns and ammo, but the most important thing that they have for you here today is their training courses. Ask, kind of an interesting name. Why would you call it that for guns and ammo? Well, Ask stands for Attitude, skills, and knowledge. And that's what they focus on at Ask Defensive Training. Sean has basic courses for a first-time gun buyer. If you're not familiar with your firearm, you want to be able to use it safely, perfect place for that. He has also additional courses for defensive handgun, advanced handgun, and even learning how to shoot a firearm in low-light situations. Bring your mag light. So folks, check them out at askdefensive.com, A-S-K, defensive.com for a schedule of classes. He's got a great store in there too, so buy what you want, train what you want, askdefensive.com. Inflation, inflation, inflation. Hi there, Philip Naiman from Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management, professional investment advice with a Christian worldview. You've all heard it, it's all over the news. The Fed has raised interest rates and may continue to raise them in the future. When the Federal Reserve said inflation was transitory, we now know it's a stiff reality. So how does that affect you? Well, financing anything will be more expensive, but if you're able to invest with these higher interest rates, things may finally be in your favor. Financial institutions have been slow to pass on higher interest rates to investors. We don't have that problem. If you're looking to take advantage of today's higher yields or even an improvement on your money market yields, please give me a call, 909-406-1144, 909-406-1144, or schedule an appointment at cornerstonecwm.com, cornerstonecwm.com. Securities offered through LPL Financial Member FINRA SIPC. AM 590, the answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.